Hey everyone, I'm Mark Jorgensen, host and creator of the MarkCast podcast. Interesting story, the intro music is provided by Jerry Fenn. Uh, Jerry Fenn is a guy I interviewed uh, on a podcast about a year ago, and uh, we had a very interesting conversation. Um, he has been uh, broadcasting himself on this new app called UpLive, and it's basically like an app where you can listen to people performing music from all of the, anywhere in the world. It, it's, an, it's a Chinese app, so it's very big in Asia, uh, but there's a lot of people speaking English and U.S.-based performers on there as well. Um, and he has thousands of followers. He's just done really well. He does his original music. He does a lot of covers, and it's great. I, I listen to it whenever I can on Up, Up, the UpLive app. So um, check out UpLive app, and uh, you can listen to more songs by Jerry Fenn if you like what you hear. So for this episode of the MarkCast podcast, I had an awesome, awesome interview. Uh, so Derek Crewman... So it actually took me a little while, probably a couple of years or so, to set up this interview, finally, with Derek Crewman. Um, what happened was, a few years ago, I had a potluck at my house, and she was there. And we started talking about what she does as a therapist at an elementary school um, in Maryland here, in the D.C. area. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I actually also, I saw a therapist kind of similar to what she does, very similar to what she does. And I thought that'd be so interesting to see the other side of this, you know, because when I was in third grade, I didn't really know what I was doing or why I was going to see this person. Um, and uh, it was it was fascinating to talk, to, just to get all the whole process of what she goes through helping these kids um, who might be just with, with all across the board. I mean, some more severe than others, um, some kids who just, you know, they just talk in class and others who, who don't. Uh, but also, she was a social worker um, working with families in the Boston area, so we talked about that. Um, th- there are some sad stories in there, but um, a lot of it's positive. It's very positive, and uh, I'm, I'm so glad we were able to do this, and I hope you enjoy it. So uh, here is Derek Crimmins. So where did you grow up, Dara? What? Yeah, we're going. Yeah, okay. That's how it is. Um, I grew up in Washington Crossing, Pennsylvania. Um, so I've, yeah, up until my whole life was in Pennsylvania. I moved once. Yeah? What was it like? So, um, when I was in Levittown, before we moved to Washington Crossing, it was like a small neighborhood. Um, they're the neighborhoods that post-World War II, the soldiers came back and everyone was able to buy a house like this. They all looked the same. Um, and then we moved to a place where there, we have 10 acres, um, you can see the closest neighbors, but you're not exactly running down the street to play with them. And so um, it was, like a, it was a big change. Yeah, it was more, more it was like, like a country. Farm. It was like a small farm. My <laughs> parents of. wanted it to be a farm. <laughs> we, had, we had a big garden that we couldn't keep up with, but I don't know if it was quite a farm. Oh, really? Okay. So, you, so, okay, so that's where you grew up, like, mm-hmm. and um, I guess you like a lot of uh, socializing with kids in the neighborhood and stuff like that, like a fun... Before childhood of playing around. Oh, yeah. Before. before we moved, so we were in a neighborhood, and so okay. yeah, we played with my best friend lived next door. The other f- person on our triangle lived across the street, and so um, had a lot of interesting little friendship things there. But then when we moved, it was you know pretty spread out, and so I think I my friendships were less tight, and I spent a lot more time with my siblings and some church friends um, that I knew from outside of school. Um, but yeah, I had a lot more time to like play in the woods and play in my yard. Playing in the woods in your yard. So you like that? You like that more? 
Um, like I, I, I was probably pretty lonely at some points of that. Um, oh. It was a big adjustment, but I also did like playing out in the yard. Yeah. Your family, how big is your family? I'm the oldest of seven. Seven mm-hmm. kids? Mm-hmm. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good, I, I've, there's six kids in my family, so I, I get it all the time, but that's, yeah, yeah, that's the young, my youngest sister is 13, so I'm 18 years older than her, um, and, uh, my second youngest sister is carrying her, I think, like, high school, and one of my mom, my friend's moms was like, oh, is that your baby? It was <laughs> awkward for both, <laughs> for all of us, <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, wait, you said 18-year difference between... My you youngest and your sister, oh, yeah. Okay. I was, so it, was, it wasn't that one. It was when I was like 15, the other one. So, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, okay. So you, you, didn't like, little... you did not like that. That was kind of... Or I guess it was just funny. It was just a funny joke. It was funny, between, okay. yeah. I think as the oldest, you kind of become a surrogate mother anyway. And do, so... do we need to turn that over? I feel like it's going to distract you a lot. <laughs> just like turn it over or something. Okay, so it's just kind of out of the... It's totally fine. All right, so seven kids, and you grew up, um, did your whole high school experience. Was high school fun? What was your high school experience like? Yeah, I think high school was much better. Um, Elementary was good, and then a big change. So in my lonely end of the years, middle school is rough for everybody. Um, High school, I started doing track, and I think that really helped me um, find a groove. That's right. You're like a so, runner, aren't you? You run. You run yeah, a lot. So you yeah, do a lot of running. I, I ran still. 14 miles today, so I feel really good about that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah and like you, you do like half marathons yeah, and all this sometimes. training stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, so and, and what were you? Were you like a sprinter? Were you a distance I did runner? Distance, yeah. Okay. So mile, two mile. Okay. Cross country. The two mile. Wow, that's a hard one, isn't it? Because it's like it's like all constant. Yeah, like my speed. I would say my race is more the the mile. Which, so, and I did the 800 as well, but the mile was my, my, my best, I What's guess. What's the hardest one? Because I've, I've heard it's like one of those, like the ones like where you're not I quite sprinting. the 400's the worst. I hated it. Because like you're, you're sprinting like the whole time, basically. The 400. That, that was for the for me the worst. Some people would say the 800, but. Yeah. So you're built, you're kind of like a del- distance runner kind of build or whatever. Like you, yeah. You, you, you could do the sprinting, but the distance was more. Yeah, I remember I tried doing hurdles and I fell and they're like, if you're afraid, it's going to hurt more. And I was like, you're right. And so I never did hurdles again. Um, so I, I did, I stuck with distance. I'm not, I'm not very, I'm not a quick starter. I'm a slow, a little bit slower. So cool. Distance cool, cool, is a good cool. fit. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, ne- I've never been a huge runner. I just do it like for fun here and there. And I play a lot of ultimate Frisbee. So mm. I have played on teams before where they like require you to like, do running on your own and so I, I think the best mile I ever did was like f- five something I don't know which is not that fast really right it's I don't know you could probably go faster what's like it's like a five like under five guys, that's, that's like fast like four or something that's yeah. like okay that's like yeah. a fast one um I mean I, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of with a five minute mile if you're not training that's what was what great. was yours did you do about a five minute yeah five about five, five oh four. Yeah, that's fast. That's so fast. Okay, and so you did track, and then you went to college. Did you do track in college too? I didn't. You no. Stopped track. Okay. Yeah, I that's just ran on my own. I had an injury. So. You had an injury. Mm-hmm. What did you do? Um, I my Achilles. I had ten, really bad tendonitis. So. Oh. Okay. I kept running. It's a lifestyle. Okay, and then so we want to get into so you went into college and then at some point during your college studies or whatever you decided to get into um, social work the co- the career the studying yeah. social work 
right? Is that or how, yeah. did, that, how did that happen? How did, yeah. you, how did you get into social work? I mean, I think I was planting little seeds to tell that story in my in the questions you were asking oh, me earlier. Dang. Okay. Um, right. Just because I think anyone that's coming into social work or um, any of those helping professions, there's usually a reason. And I don't feel like I have a very dramatic story. I don't want to make it, you know, I didn't come out of some some horrible situation and rise above and become a social worker. But I, I think my interest in it started really young. Um, just being, I think, it's a couple different reasons. One, being the oldest child and like observing a lot of things going on in my family, things that were good, things that were not good, and mm-hmm. feeling personally just how much, you know, social relationships and how much parental relationships can impact how kids feel in the home and how happy they are at school at home um and then I even I remember so I grew up <laughs> I was born in the 80s and um that was coming decade. right out of <laughs> um a lot of uh like the Soviet Union Cold War stuff was you know started just coming out of there and yeah. there was documentaries about Romania I remember and about the children um, oh, they were, like, they were abandoned or whatever. Right. Or there was this things. encouragement by the president there for all the women to have as many children as possible to like build up this generation or race of workers. And I just remember watching a show about um, all the kids that you know were like on the streets like... and like. Um, and I, so I just yeah, it was something that drew my interest. I remember I was probably in like second grade. So that stuck with me. And so these interests just like, I've always kind of was interested in it um, all the way up into high school. And I yeah. did a paper on, um, we had to do like a graduation project. I wrote it about foster care. And that's when I started learning about social work as a that profession. Was in, high, in high school? Yeah, I was in 10th so, grade. Okay. So you're, you're, pretty, you're pretty interested in this stuff. And, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure what I would do. I was interested in psychology, interested in social work, but I think it all started, it started really young. Kind of fought against it in some some ways, but I oh. ultimately like went your, there. Did your family want you to do the other stuff or something like that? Or? Not really my family, just um, there's just a lot of ways to do things. And I felt like social work was one that honestly was a little bit undervalued, underpaid. And I was aware of that from yeah. pretty young. Um, right. And so it was you know, a lot of different... It doesn't get the respect that maybe it should deserve. You, yeah, I think it's. Mean, I think it's. Right? Gro- I think it is gaining more respect now, and people are recognizing it more. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it looked like a rough, rough profession in some ways, and then, um, yeah, and there were a lot of other ways to help people, and so I wasn't. Yeah, I was going back and forth. Wasn't yeah. sure. What did you study in college? Did you? Study? So I did human development, family studies. So I went to Brigham Young University. I did um, the actual major then was marriage, family, and human development. Okay, and then the concept that a lot of people end up becoming like counselors or some type of a it's counselor. It's like a psychology degree, but more focused on healthy development. And um, and so you have to, if you want to practice in any way, you have to get an, a second degree. Okay, so. so it's kind of like an intro, kind of like a pre, pre-med sort yeah. of like that. Yeah, like that. but I, I <laughs> loved it. I felt like it was a really good preparation. I could have done a social work undergrad, but I wanted to understand more like what healthy development was, what how kids can develop and like what the, you know, the focus on the health side of things as oh, opposed to social, in social work. work you're learning the problems. and often in psychology you're focused on yeah i you know psychologists might disagree but i you know abnormal psych was one course i took but i really wanted to look at what are the things that help support proper development healthy development mm-hmm. um and then kind of go from there and 
That's interesting. So yeah, you had a good like 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 you know, like you got a beginning to the end kind of view of this, and you wanted to have the right basis. Yeah, you know? I, I don't think you know it wasn't perfectly smooth, but I I did I that was the reasoning. And so then you planned on doing this social work as a graduate degree as well, or graduate studies, right? Like yes, Lu- yes. I, I started a master's actually at Tufts in child development at first, and um, you didn't like that. No, it seemed like a lot of repetition of my undergrad, and I knew I'd have to get a PhD or another master's to practice. Uh, yeah. And so I decided not to continue. I still, I really valued it. I really loved having experience at their their program, but um, I left that program, worked for two and a half years doing intensive in-home family therapy, which was, I'll say, intense. I was on call 24 hours a day, that, working that with the most Bo- troubled that was in kids. Boston? Mm-hmm. So you, yeah. you lived in Boston, going to Tufts University, and then you were working... Yeah. As, what With, was it called? Like, it's, um, well, as a uh, bilingual family specialist, I guess. Is so you went into families that were having difficulties and you yep. kind of just... Kids that were either going to get removed from the home or were going to be um, placed in the hospital or some type of outpatient or inpatient treatment. And it's like so, serious problems. Yeah. Um, like, like abuse or other stuff. Like that that was probably the history. And so that's wow. actually... Um, I came out of the child development program thinking I probably want a degree where I can, you know, work with people directly and not just theorize about it. And um, so I got this job partially, partially because I spoke Spanish, partially because it's a high burnout job. I learned because you're uncalled to the families, twenty four hours a day, so seven seven days a week, every other weekend. It was intense. So it's easy to get a job because everyone's like quitting. Burning all the time. out, right? Where, where did you pick up Spanish? Where did you Where did you learn Spanish? Um, I studied in high school, college, oh, okay. mission. I was in Arizona, so I used it a lot. So so up there, it was uh, mostly Dominicans and Puerto Ricans I was working with, but but other families, you know, just from that had been in the U.S. forever. Cool. Um, but the so you're doing that, and you're getting you're getting a little bit burnt. I mean, you're doing it's intense work. You like it. It's but intense. But I was like, tough. wow, it's this might be tough, what I yeah. keep doing as a social worker. But I decided to do it anyway. <laughs> so, um, but something nice. I noticed a lot with you asked about the behaviors. So the behaviors were like, you know, a lot of the kids would be running away. They'd be hurting themselves. Be suicidal. Self harm. Right. Yeah. Um, defiance. Stuff? Some some cutting. That was one that's hard for me. Um, a lot of aggression. Drug use, aggression. Like yeah, I mean, these kids, they're still young. They're like, there's like Teenagers? 8 to 18 that I eight worked eight. with. Okay, okay. Um, so it's like right when like drug use and like all this like well, kind of violence is like starting. Yeah, not all people. of, I mean, a lot of them, it was problems more within the home, some in school. But the thing I noticed, you know, not earth shattering for anyone who works in the mental health field, but... I wasn't treating the trauma, and so many of these kids, you asked you know, about abuse, so many of these kids have had things happen to them, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, I would meet them at that point, maybe their parents were doing okay, like they're like, I don't know what's going on, like I'm giving my child everything, but why is this happening? But some of them, these kids had been through a lot of instability, they might have been abused earlier yeah. in their childhood, and so that was something that really stuck with me going working with these kids, I wasn't treating the abuse. I was working with the behaviors and I was working with the parents. I was working with the system, which I think is really important, like the school, the courts. Um, so you were sent there by the courts usually, or did the parents like ask for this help usually? The, What's usually the, the um, child welfare services would have us work with them. When the social workers burned out, they hired us to And so sometimes the, the parents maybe don't really welcome 
the help, right? And Sometimes, so yeah. It's a conflict. huge commitment for them. Someone in their house three times a week, that's a lot. Yeah, but I they mean, usually did, I guess. It, it sounded like it usually... Yeah, I mean, wasn't they kind of had to. It, I mean, technically, they didn't have to, but at that point, it was often worked into, like, their service plan or something. Mm-hmm. So if they wanted to have their child at home, they needed... And so after you'd work with them for like a few months or something like that, like you would tell the courts, you would tell like the social services, it's like, okay, I think here's the progress. And mm-hmm. would update. Your, your report was very important, I guess, to whatever would happen, right? Or what, how does that work? I mean, we had goals. I was working with them weekly to um, meet certain goals. Okay. So if the behavior was running away, right. we'd be wanting to reduce running away. And so I'd work with the parents, work with the kids to try to figure out what to do. Um, wow. and what would you do? How would you, how would you help a kid? Like a kid is like running away. How do you, how do you stop them from running away? So youth villages, their model, they call it intercept and they do pretty, um, it's an intense service. I keep using the word intense, but it was so intense for them, for us, for everyone. Um, but they, I mean, it was very behavioral and systemic. Those are the main words. So like, what's the drivers? Like, why are they running away? It's not looking so much back in their, like, history of trauma, the root, but kind of right now, like, what happens right before they run away? Like, what are they getting out of running away? You know, are they getting, are they escaping something? Or are they running to something? Like, are they seeing their boyfriend? Or are they, you know, getting drugs? Uh, or are like they fleeing, away or... or are they fleeing conflict at home? Are they, you know, is it when you set a boundary, so they're escaping the boundary? So you're looking at, what is the thing that is triggering or prompting them to leave? And then also what are they getting out of it? So both sides, we do a lot of these, um, I can't think of the word functional analysis. So what's the function of the behavior? Um, and so then you work in theory, you're working with parents to help reinforce the things that you like and to eliminate the, unhelpful reinforcement so the things that are reinforcing running away like okay every time they run away they get to the boyfriend's house and it's great they're happy well you encourage the parent to talk to the boyfriend's parents and and not let the child come over or whatever um it doesn't always work as simply as a lot of the parents i was working with were highly impacted you know they were struggling in their own ways and Um, so um that was another huge theme what, what's like a what's like a like you know one of your best Happy stories story. <laughs> stories of like you came you know, in and there was all these problems you came in and like a month later things were just you yeah know. so usually we worked with families much longer than a month okay, um, or six months well, whatever whatever but time, whatever time and I and I like this thing, you know and this job this was before grad school so now this is like six seven years ago but I you know it was hard it was hard to come up with the happy stories because. I really had to adjust my goals for working with these kids. And that was something like, again, I, we did treatment planning every single week. Typically you do treatment planning every six months. Um, and so in my mind for these kids to be doing well, I had a different level of what I wanted for them. And, you know, I wanted them to be getting good grades in school. Yeah. Um, but the goal might be just to go to school. Right. Just to go to school. Just to go to school. Just to have normal, to be there. normal attendance. Or right. Whatever. And then, and that's something that, I think was really hard for me and so to think about successes like what is success you know for some of these kids it's really different than what I would want and that's something um, 
So a success was counted for when the child, this is, this is so hard to say, was not removed from the home, when they stayed home. Like right. that was one of the goals, was just to maintain them in their home. Sure, yeah. And um, yeah. Okay. so I'm trying to think back six, seven years ago. Um, so, so in most cases, did that happen? Some or yes, some no. I, they had a good... Or something? No, I mean, at, at the end of treatment, most would be still at home. Oh, yeah, God. it was rare for them to actually be removed. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my most heartbreaking stories, and not a success, um, was you a child I worked that, yeah. with twice. Um, and that was, you know, part of what was so hard about that, the mom had a drug problem. And so when the child, even if, you know, the child was removed, like it, the mom relapsed, right? And so um, ended up ultimately being uh removed from the home and I, I haven't uh, you know and that but it had nothing to do with the child right it was yeah. where the mom was um I think yeah. some of my successes yeah. though are when I did feel like I was able to form a relationship with the parent I felt like I mean these are these are like little tidbits I guess I pulled out of that experience one is trauma underlies so many of the kids behaviors and two you know of course the parents are so key to being able to help manage um, the home situation, right, without the parents. And so really getting a connection with the parents and helping the parents to get the supports that they need. Um, it's essential. And I, I was in their home like three times a week. So it was something I had to work on too is boundaries. Like where, where did their family end and my life, you know, with them mm-hmm. begin? Um, and so it gave me a, the ability, I think, to connect with the parents and kids. Almost like I had to keep some professional boundaries but at the same time you know it was it was very intimate right yeah so we can edit this out if you're not comfortable answering this but um you said initially like you kind of it was like learning about romania and like this kind of like loss of you know solid parents like kids and parents and uh and working with these kids and some of them didn't have a solid parenting support system whatever i mean did you ever kind of like struggle with feeling like you were a sort of parental figure, you know, in their life or something? Yeah, um, I think... Is that a, I mean, professionally, about, like, I don't know, you're yeah. supposed to have those boundaries, right? Well, or, go back, I mean, to boundaries. I think boundaries are an interesting thing that I still am navigating. And um, some views are shifting for me. I kind of go back and forth. I mean, with that, I it was really hard for me to have boundaries, period, because I was on call to them 24 hours a day, right? They could call me at 3 in the morning. They could call me anytime. And oh, so, really? um, so it was hard for me emotionally on so many levels and... I, like many other people, thought about quitting that job, but I, I didn't want to until I discharged my cases, right? Until I was saying, okay, I'm closing this case. And so I would extend. I wasn't there that long, two and a half years, but that was long for that position. It's a decent, yeah, it's a decent. And um, I kept extending in my mind because I was like, well, I need to finish working with this family. I didn't uh, want to. And so talking about, you know, was I taking a parental figure? I maybe Sometimes to the parents, maybe, even though I was much younger than them at that point or... Um, I don't know if it'd be exactly parental, but um, yeah. definitely was. Hard. I didn't want to leave them. I didn't want to abandon them, right? And that those are coming into feelings of um, maybe some type of parenting. But um, so many of the parents and kids had been abandoned multiple times, and so I was always looking for, on my end, a more natural transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I definitely how, how see did that. that. How did you finally end up leaving? Um, I ended up transitioning to a different role at the organization yeah. and 
um, it had become available and I was thinking of going to grad school and so it was a really good opportunity and I they had hired more people and so it was like I phased out my cases. Why, why do you think or feel like you didn't get burned out by it? Why? I mean, does it, oh, you I did. just, just work, you did get burned out. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 that when I'm in the middle of something though, I just keep going, but this was, um, that's the runner in you. You like, you like that intensity. I going. Yeah, I do. You like, you I gotta do. Gotta finish. Like, I, I gotta do. Finish I want to finish. It's true. Um, <laughs> I think I had one coworker that was a good friend of mine and we would vent about our experiences together but whenever I would take a break from it I would have a hard time coming back so if I went home for Christmas or Easter just but for me it has more maybe to do with my own I think it was hard for a lot of people but my own profile a little bit of anxiety you know the the unknown who's gonna call me when are they gonna call me what am I gonna deal with today um was hard for me especially yeah I felt like I was doing something that was important and helpful and even if the changes weren't happening at the rate that I wanted I still felt like I had relationships with Mm. these kids and their families and um have you kept in touch with some of them here and there we can't oh you can't really no that's one of the boundaries right and that's something that's really hard for kids to understand and sometimes parents too especially when you see someone that frequently Mm -hmm. it's something I deal with now in a different role um um, I'm a therapist as well, which we might talk oh, about. Oh, that's right. No, okay, yeah. So, so, so. You, you went, <laughs> motioning to me to talk. Um, yeah, so you went, to, you did graduate school uh-huh. for a couple of years, social right? Work. Uh-huh. And, and, and you did like that. That was a good, yeah, yeah. good fit um, for you. I went to Boston College, um, but just to jump into it, I'm, I'm a therapist now at an elementary school. Okay. Um, but those transitions, you know, when kids move from one school to another school, or I, you kind of go through the same having to make boundaries. I'm not allowed to stay in touch with them for professional reasons. You just can't Mm -hmm. follow. Occasionally I'll follow up with parents just to make sure they have the things they need. They got connected with the other resources. Um, But yeah, I I try to help them see me almost as a teacher in the sense that your teacher stays at the school. The teacher doesn't go to another school when you move or if a case closes, you know, you you go to a different grade. Yeah. Um, you don't keep your same teacher. That's a good thing. You're progressing. Progressing. <laughs> so. And so now as a therapist, though, it's it's a little more, it's a little less intense. Yes. Right. It's more just yeah. kind of helping kids that are just with all kinds of issues, but maybe not quite as. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like so grad school, I feel like it gave me um, the degree I needed. But I feel like so much of my learning has come post my degree. Um just Which I on, think is pretty common. Just stuff you learned Experience, on the street, so books, to speak. Sort of classes I'm taking now. Things, um, talking to people, my supervisors. Okay. Um, so grad school is a place to kind of like, I guess, get a professional qualification. But a lot of what you use in your work day to day, you come right. from a lot of other sources. Social work's right? really broad. Um, it doesn't give a ton of clinical training. It gives. It's more. Um, you look at the pol- you look at the programs, you look at the policies, you look at the history, you look at race, you look at inequality. Because mm-hmm. um, social workers are really trained to go and like make change in the world make change and be really. um, advocates. And so that's one piece. Um, I think that is good to know and to have as you know when you're looking as a social worker, you don't just look at the individual, you look at the systems around them. So you look at their family, you look at the school, you look at the community, and you try to figure out what's blocking their progress, okay. and how can you support them to be empowered to overcome those things themselves. Um, but a lot of social workers do become 
therapists and to get a clinical licensure, which I have, um, to be a therapist. And so you got that when you were in Boston still, or uh, I got my master's in Boston and then I did my certification here. My yeah. so you, after Boston, you came to DC. Mm-hmm. Right. So why, I why'd you come to DC? Yeah, I wanted to change, and also it takes a little while to get the license, and so I either needed to be in Boston for two and a half years or start in another state. It's hard to transfer oh, okay. midway, so yeah. I thought I'd try a new place. I'm actually in Maryland, but Maryland, yeah. I'm in a school setting, though, and so some ways I have some of the same advantages I had before, and then I'm actually able to be in the setting where the kids are. It's not a typical outpatient setting, so I can, with my kids, I can go into the classroom, I can go into... Um, I can visit the home occasionally, but usually I see them in school. But I can mm-hmm. observe them at recess. I can go out to, you know, the cafeteria and see what's happening at lunch. Talk to the teachers. Talk to the parents. Um, in the summer, I do camps with the kids. Um, what are some of the camps. things that they they're normally going through? Some of these kids that you uh, you work with usually. What is yeah. So um, so and work. I worked with the babies, right? Like you work at an elementary school. Who? What, what's what's going on with the kids in the elementary school? And I, I was, it's not so severe, usually. A lot, in some ways, it is preventative, right? If you can help kids in elementary school, you can set them up for, hopefully, success right? later on. Um, but a lot of the same things that I talked about with my other job are, are there, but maybe not full-blown yet. Um, so a lot of the kids have been through major, major life transitions. Their parents have had, there's, they've witnessed domestic violence. They've moved a lot. Um, really common. A lot of my the referrals I get are for kids that have come recently from El Salvador. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually a big interest of mine, working with kids that are fleeing violence. Um, oh yeah. So there's you know there's been a ton of movement due from gang violence in mm-hmm. um, Central America, especially El Salvador. Um, also, this summer I was volunteering with children in um, Greece that had come from Syria. Um, so this is a definite like passion yeah. of mine. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. For those who don't know, I mean, Central America, especially El Salvador, in the last like five years, is uh, one of the deadliest countries in the world. There's just a lot of gang violence. So the so I get a referral um, from like we have a nurse in the school, a nurse practitioner. She sees the kids that don't have insurance, so they usually come with their family or with a family member, and they'll refer them to me if they feel like they're having a really hard time adjusting. And so this, I've heard a lot of really tragic stories from moms or from the kids sometimes about their, you know, family members that have been killed or threats that they've received. And so there's, there's some pretty serious things they've witnessed. And I'm talking about what's happened to the kids. I haven't told you anything about their behaviors. And this is something that I think is a really common way to talk about with trauma. Like you don't talk about like what was wrong with the kids. You talk about what happened to them. Um, and in some ways their behaviors make sense based on, you know, what's happened to them. And, but I treat, I don't, you know, I, we work on the goals have to do with the behaviors, but but I just wanted to give a little context. So these kids, you know, what I see, um, sometimes kids just are really sad and don't have friends, but often it's, you know, you get the referrals for the kids that are acting out in class, right? They're not doing the work. They're defiant. They're, that was me when I was a kid, third grade. That was so me. Let's, let's get some insight into your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 that's also a thing. Like some of it's normative behavior, right? You get these referrals, and I'm like, well, you know, I think he just needs 
to play outside a little more, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah, and yeah. So some kids, you know. Let's I mean, get them in soccer. Let's, you know, let's. Yeah, there's more serious thing, but like you know, when I was, I was, I was one of those kids who was disrupting class sometimes. Um, I mean, there's kind of was kind of a finer line. I think some of the kids I knew, we could be funny and we know we were entertaining, um, but there were other kids that they kind of didn't know where the lines were, and I think that's probably where the more of the problems happen. Because uh, I, I kind of knew, I kind of knew, and all my teachers kind of liked me, and uh, I, it kind of, I, as I got older, a lot of that stuff went away. I learned just kind of like you know, sometimes it's not worth it to. <laughs> And, and, but that's exactly what it is when it starts to get in your way, right? When it starts to get in your way, when you're you're not able to progress because you're disrupting class so much, like the other kids they, like are annoyed and they don't want to play yeah. with you at recess. Yeah. If they think you're funny and the teacher thinks you're funny, you're going to probably be okay. Cause that's right. The teachers thought I was very there funny. There you are. They you're good. I was very funny. That like the other kids who were like me and a few other kids, like we just want, we wanted to make jokes. We were like more like entertainers, or at least that's what we tried to be. But some kids, like, you could tell there was, like, other stuff going on that was, like, but, yeah, um, but no, I, I saw a person like you for, I think it was, like, one one year, I think. Uh, we went in there and we talked about, she said, like, basically, like, well, well what do you do when you get, like, upset, you know? And I uh -huh. said, like, well. Oh, the feelings. Yeah, yeah. the feeling. She's like, well, when somebody cuts in line, when I'm going skiing, she gave an example of herself. When I'm going skiing and somebody cuts in line, I get very tense and I get very upset and. And she's like, well, what do you do? And I, I, I didn't understand it. I, I kind of said, well, I, I, I don't know. what. I, I don't know. I'm shocked you remember her example. She was right. Well, I remember because she had, she was missing two fingers, actually. She, um, she, she had these two fingers cut off, I think, from, and she would talk about it all the time. Skiing. Well, no, it was from a lawnmower, actually. Lawnmowers used to be very dangerous. And so she reached in and I guess uh. lawnmower cut it. And she lived only like a block away from my house. And I went to her house. Several times. Oh, um, interesting. She was very friendly and like, but I don't know. It didn't last for very long. It was maybe like only one or two years. But um, no, she was. I mean, now I kind of get a little more what was going on. But I mean, and there were other kids who went there too. I wasn't the only one. What, el what else did you do there? I'm curious. We, what do you remember? I, you know, I don't even. Remember. We just. I went to her like maybe like once a week for like a month or two, and then I maybe saw her a few times after that. Um, I went to her office. They would let me out of class, so I kind of liked it. Uh, they let me out of class. Yeah, the kids love that. They could have come out of class to see So they, the kids are happy to see you. Oh, of course. I mean, if they're primed if they're getting out of class. Occasionally I have a kid who's like, well, I need to go finish my work. I'm like, okay. Okay. That's really interesting. Good for you. So you're kind of like, of all the teachers, all the faculty, I mean, you're like, for a lot of those kids, you're like the hero. You're like the good person, Get right? them out of class. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, I definitely, so I... I feel like I am figuring out my groove still, and I think that's because you really do need to approach different kids with different needs in different ways. Um, but lately, I feel like I've been so obsessed with trying to find, like, this is a evidence-based treatment for, for this, or this is the way to work with this. Um, so I did, like, a trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy certification, and I am, like, trying to do these different certifications and learn the right approach um but i've just been reminded lately i've been looking more at play therapy but true play therapy and um trying to be a little more intuitive in the way i work with kids and not so by the book because there's no book that's that helpful and um so i do have structure though with the kids we usually have a routine and we do i do some things that i have planned for them and then i give them time to do something that they want to do um, but I think some of that can be healing in itself, like play. 
can be a really big piece of play. treatment. Learning how to play with other kids. And, 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 um, I'm using play as part of the healing. So oh. little kids especially will often act out the trauma, the different things we've talked about they may have experienced. Right. Um, so with trauma-focused cognitive behavioral therapy, we'll do... It's like helping them approach the story, usually by first teaching them like and practicing how to manage feelings, talk about feelings, recognize feelings. feelings. Yeah, I know. Um, but then recognizing thoughts that are contributing to feelings that are not helpful and then recognizing thoughts that might not be true about their story um, or not helpful anyway about like, their like story. Like how they're thinking about their story? Or, right. So right. so you're, sometimes the story itself can be really hard to tell, right? You know, maybe you've had something or I've had something. Like, you don't want to talk about it. It's so terrible. Right. Um, and so your body, this is why you talk about feeling so much. Your body is trained, you know, you respond in a certain way. And so some kids, you know, they've experienced things before they were even verbal, before they could talk. Like their neural system, like the way it was developed, they're more reactive because maybe they saw their parents fighting a lot and like they were always like on guard. Um, and so those are harder to access through a story. It might be done more through play. Um, but for children, you know, someone coming from El Salvador that saw their aunt get shot, um, that's a story that they can tell. And but they might not want to tell the story. And so they do things to avoid that that are unhelped, that are not helpful for them. Yeah. And so helping them to find a way to tell their story and still manage the uncomfortable feelings associated with it um, can help the symptoms of avoidance, of maybe acting out, whatever it is that they're doing to try to not think about the story to, to diminish. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, your thoughts get distorted. You start to think the world is unsafe because you um, experienced something that was unsafe. So an example, um, should I keep going? Is this? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I want, I want to have so once one um, family I worked with, the, the interesting thing is that the trauma for the child wasn't anything that happened in El Salvador that he can remember. There might be some things from when he was younger, but the trauma he identifies is in the cold place, he called it, which is the detention center for families when they're coming through the border. Oh, right. So he and his mom stayed together, but his mom was a little sick, and it was so confusing for him. Like, why were they sleeping on aluminum foil, which, you know, like the the blankets that they use. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why, you know, why is my mom so sick? Is she going to die? You know, these were, why are we in this place with no windows? Why is it so cold? And for him, as like a four-year-old, was very frightening and confusing and so that was the thing that for him like he continued to experience the world as not safe and police officers who look kind of like the the guards there or the ice um people um um, you know he's like really afraid of police officers and so we've been working together for a year it's taken longer than it needed to i think he was ready to progress but um part of the treatment is involving the parent and so I, it was, it's been hard to schedule, but, um, yeah, we worked through, we talked a lot about how to manage feelings. We practiced through games and talked about thoughts and feelings. And then we wrote his story down and he illustrated some of it. And then, um, we talked through it and he had some questions and we questioned, like, we don't want to ever say, you know, his 
experience wasn't true. That's how we experienced it. But maybe there's something in that story that that isn't uh, helpful to think of in that way. Yeah, like everyone that wears a uniform is, is going to be dangerous to you. Yeah. And so if there's anything that's like still in the way, then what you do is you try to help him approach that thing. And so we actually had a police officer come in when yeah. he and his mom were there. And he was able to talk to a police officer and ask the police officer some questions. And he was really nervous about it. He was talking about police for like everything for the like the two weeks before. And I was like, oh my goodness, maybe I introduced like an obsession with police. I was doubting myself. I was like, maybe this is the wrong thing. All he wanted to do was talk about police, police, police. And we had Legos with police and he was playing with the police and police and police. Um, and then the officer came in and um, he looked, the kid I work with, he looked really calm. But afterwards he said he was really nervous. And um, he asked him all the questions. And then after that, he, he has not said anything about police since then. It's, it's really interesting. Home. I mean, that, that's an so. interesting story, Dara. Um, I mean, I think it's really interesting, though, like how um, something we learned like so many years, like you know, like ten or twenty years or something, like we learned like fifteen or ten. We rely on that thought, or at least I do. And a lot of times, I know we rely on that thought for so long to like project all these other interpretations mm. of the world. Long after, when we're not even maybe thinking critically, like, kind of, well, wait a minute, I thought about that then, and it made sense for this that those situations, but. We use that in so many other situations to some point. Maybe we need right. to think like, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't, the, especially if it's like a, a negative one or something. I mean, this cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially what you're talking about. Noticing oh. when our cognitions are not helpful <laughs> and like replacing them. And I, I was talking with for kids that experience trauma, but we do it all the time with, I, I, I literally, I do this with myself. I'm like, is this a true thought? Is this a helpful thought? Is that person really glaring at me because they're Whatever. thinking I've got yeah. something on my face? Or is it just maybe they have indigestion? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. No, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, well, I think um, also you, you do TED Talks, right? Or Fred Talks? Um, I have, but I haven't done them for a while. Okay. Well. Advertise for them. Yeah. Um, well, hey, thanks for talking, Dara. That was really, really, really interesting. Thank you. So happy to be here Thank you. in my house. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Um, that was a great interview. I really, really liked it. Hope you did too. If you like the show, definitely share it with other people. Also, uh, the music is provided again, once again, by Jerry Fenn. So check him out on UpLive or on his fan page. You can find him on social media as well. Jerry Fenn. Thanks.